Blog Talk Radio. Find us all around the internet at Trundlebed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. Today we've got a great episode because we have Allison Ungram, also known as Nellie Olson from the TV show, with us today. But before we do that, let's have just a little housekeeping. And just as a reminder to people, most of the Laura Ingalls Wilder events this summer have uh, or have either been canceled or are on the edge, not sure if they're going to have them this year or not. So be sure to check with any home site before you plan on making a trip to make sure they're actually going to be open. Uh, and uh, be sure to check the Trundlebed Tales YouTube and this uh and a blog on talk radio for podcasts because we've got quite a few of those going on. And as Ellison is going to talk about today, be sure every day at 3.30 Central Time, 1.30 Pacific Time, to tune in to hear Allison read us out of the Little House book. And that should be it for housekeeping. And with that, welcome, Allison. Well, hi. Can you hear me? It sounds good to me. I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you. So Awesome. First, well, how are you? How are you? I am doing really well. I am very glad we live on a farm so we can actually go outside, and I'm looking out at green grass and not, you know, a concrete wall or something. So. Right? You're not, like, on your fire escape in your apartment in New York, which (laughs) my friends are doing. They're all like, well, I'm on the fire escape. I have My apartment is 10 foot by 12 foot. I have one window. Ah! Yeah. I have some friends in New York, but uh, this is one of the times that I am most glad I do not live there. Right? Do you have, like, stuff like food? Do you grow things on your farm? Are you, like, that farmed out? We do. Uh, this time of year, we don't have anything planted, but actually, we just got um, uh, some. Of our, we have a deal with a farm up the road, and we kind of um, switch off doing things for them. And they just brought a couple cows back this week, and hopefully, we'll be bringing the sheep oh. back later because we got grass now. We can have our sheep. So, like the Ingalls, will you laugh because you have a cow? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually do. Like, yay, milk. (laughs) It is the strangest thing, but you do. You feel happy when you look out and can see a cow. We raised Herefords, and uh, the ones they brought back aren't Herefords. uh, Herefords are red with white face and white stripes, so you feel happiest when you see a Hereford. 
Herefords are adorable. They're, they're, they're the classic black and white cow, like in the commercial. They're awesome. I love them. Yes. Okay, well, I All right, think... I'm, I'm like interviewing you about cows. So, no, you're supposed to ask me things. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, that's the kind of thing we talk about on, on podcasts. It's things people might not know if they live in the city. And I think that probably anybody listening to this podcast knows already who you are, but would you give us a little intro in case somebody just stumbled across it? Are you there? That's not good. Hello, hello. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? My phone is weird. My phone is very weird. I can hear you now. Um, Yes, so I was a kid. And when I was 12, I went to uh, one of my auditions, and it turned out to be for Little House on the Prairie. And I didn't get the part of Laura Mary, but they called me back for Nellie Olson, and I nailed it. So I wound up being evil Nellie Olson for seven years, plus one episode on Little House on the Prairie, and it was awesome. Well, that is sure that is sure clear to see when we see you on the show. You always do such a great job. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, uh, let's start out. Uh, The reason that I'm uh, interviewing you today is not all the other awesome stuff you do, but is uh, the reading (laughs) project you've been working on. So if somebody uh, has not yet come across your wonderful readings, where can they find Mm -hmm. them? Well, it's smack on my Facebook page. And what I did is my Facebook page is very, very public. I've, I've always felt when people say, oh, I set my stuff to private. Oh, it's the Internet. It's, there's so no private. Um, my Facebook page is public. It's Allison Arngram. And then I also set it for follow. So if, even if you, I have too many friends, you can just follow it. And so you can see all my stuff. And every day at 1.30, I pump up, uh, I hit the button for Facebook Live, and I read the Little House book. How did you get the idea of reading the Little House books to everyone? Well, to absolutely honestly, what happened is, is you know, the in here in L.A. Uh, in the week the week of March 13th, they declared it a, a national emergency and all that, and then that weekend everything started to close and things began to get canceled. And now my husband. Thank heavens, my husband got declared an essential employee because his job falls under what they call infrastructure um, because he is at um, Balfour Beatty Construction and they're building the people mover at the airport. So he is declared essential. So he gets to keep going to work. We weren't sure at first. For a few days, we weren't sure he was going to go to work or work at home or what was going to happen. But no, he stayed on. But literally everything I do both creatively and as a job, involves large crowds of people. It's either a theater or it's stand-up comedy or it's a little house fan appearance or an autograph show or something with big crowds of people. And I watched as one by one they were canceled. I was supposed to go to the Missouri Cherry Blossom Festival. There was RuPaul's Drag Con. There was a show in New York. And I just was like, bing, 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 as the calendar went dark. And I was quite disconcerted because I said, well, wait, what do I do? I mean, okay, we're safe, we're good, we have food, we have toilet paper, we have a roof over our heads, but I have no job, I have no anything. And my husband said, well, you know, I'm working, we'll be okay. And I said, yeah, but I've kind of been working since I was 12 years old. So um, I felt weird, and I said, well, I have to do something. So I said, what should I do? I should do something, I'm very bored, and I should 
I'll go back to the beginning. I'll read the Laura Ingalls books, The Little House in the Prairie. I will start at the beginning at Little House in the Big Woods and just read them. And I originally, I swear, I was going to do this all by myself in my living room just for my own peace and focus and sanity. And then I thought, well, I bet everybody else is going out of their mind too. Maybe I should just go on Facebook Live and read them and share it with everyone else since it's such a fun thing to do. And then I said, bonnets, yes, I got a bonnet. I will wear a bonnet because I have bonnets. And um, next thing I knew, I'm sitting there at 1.30 reading Facebook Live at a bonnet. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how many people would like it. I do believe the first video that I did back in March, which has been shared a lot, has like 60,000 views. And all of them have thousands, literally thousands of views. And I was just stunned. But apparently um, people really like uh, reading Little House on the Birth. That is an amazing revelation, isn't it? No, people love reading the book, and you do such a nice job. Is this the first? It's really enjoyable. It's really fun. Oh no, I did read them years ago. Yeah, I've read them several times. Back in the day, I didn't read them before. I'm one of these terrible. You'll be horrified. I did not read them before the show. I literally did not. I had not heard of them before the show. Isn't that awful? Um, When I went to the audition, they said we're making a show about these books. I said, who? And as soon as, terrible, as soon as I got the part, a lot of the actors, many of the actors from the show had not read the books prior to the show. Charlotte Stewart hadn't, several hadn't. Um, I immediately, as soon as I got the part, ran out and got the books. And immediately I read On the Banks of Plum Creek, because that's, hello, the one the show's based on, and the one where Nellie Olson shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then, after the show, I, I did read all of them. And over the years, I've gone back and read a book here or there. Um, and, I, and then when they all came out on Kindle, I've downloaded them all to my Kindle right away and read a couple. I was, what was I reading? I think I was reading Little Town on the Prairie on Kindle. And so I was reading them. So I had read them. There's some – it's going to be really interesting. I do not remember what even happens in, like, By the Shores of Silver Lake. I'm like, oh, wow, did I read that one? That was a long time ago. Um, I've read Plum Creek like several times. I'd read Little House in the Prairie before. Uh, Big Woods, I've read a bunch of times. Um, but there's a couple where it's like, oh, that'll be a surprise. So I thought, no, I'm going to, but I've never sat down and read them all in order. And I thought this will be a cool thing to do. And now that it's turned into a group thing that we're all doing together, this is like the most awesome thing that's ever happened. It, it really is great. Uh, you don't just, read you give commentary and explain stuff is that how you normally read to people or do you think there's something about these books that inspires it definitely something about these books i mean i well i have to say i'm not sure i normally read to people um (laughs) um, when i was a kid at summer camp i actually went to camp with a kid like is day camp but we had little weekend things when i was at camp and i got older they had a program, it's like a junior counselor thing, and my my uh, task is to, I did get to read books to the little kids, to the younger campers, and I, I liked it. So I've read to people like a few times. I've done like, oh, what's that national reading day, that whole Dr. Seuss reading day where people go into the schools and read? It, there's two of them. Do you have that thing where you are? I think it's the World Read Day. Right. Just that 
there's some read day, and I know here in California, the one with the, everybody gets like a Dr. Seuss cat in the hat hat, and you go out and read yeah. books to kids. I always do stuff like that. So I, I read it like to kids. Um, but yes, the Little House books are fascinating, and the commentary, because obviously there's things that are sort of hilarious because they're so different from the show. Like, oh, look, Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson is mentioned in Banks of Plum Creek. Now, on the show, that was a huge deal. Johnny Johnson was this teenage boy who both Laura and Nellie had a giant crush on, and we got in a fight over him, and it was like a romantic puppy love thing, like dating. We were like early, we were sort of middle school age, and it was like a dating thing, and who will win Johnny, the love of Johnny Johnson? It's the name of an episode. It's the love of Johnny Johnson. And the whole premise of the episode, Bunnies, that we were fighting over him. And here... In the books, Johnny Johnson is this minor character who's a cute little blonde-haired boy who doesn't speak English. <laughs> it is different. So I'm like, yeah, that, that wouldn't work. That, that wouldn't work at all. And Bunny, Bunny, that whole thing, Bunny, that was like half a season, was about Bunny the horse. I take Bunny the horse at Christmas. Bunny the horse is in the race. Oh, I'm thrown from Bunny the horse. And here it's like, and then he traded Bunny. Bye. <laughs> Bunny's gone. <laughs> So, yes, for someone who grew up on the show, it's kind of hilarious. I read the books and go, oh, wow, that didn't happen. (laughs) And just as an aside, if you haven't made it to Walnut Grove yet, and and I know you have, Allison, but if the listeners haven't, uh, they should uh, know that when you go to the Loring with Wilder Museum in Walnut Grove, they have done a lot of research on these characters, and you will see, Mm -hmm. like, pictures and family write-ups of people like Johnny Johnson. So, it's a kind of a cool thing. They have everything. The, the Walnut Grove, and that's, I believe, walnutgrove.org is, you can go there. The Walnut Grove Museum in Walnut Grove, Minnesota is fantastic. The DeSmet one is great. They're all good. But the Walnut Grove one, when you go, uh, the biggest one now is the one, of course, Mansfield, Missouri, where Laura and Almanzo lived out their mm-hmm. days, and they're buried there. And she wrote the books there. That now has been renovated and has a museum the size of an airplane hangar, and it's amazing. But to their sort of they and Walnut Grove have, like, done the most. Walnut Grove has added on a bunch of stuff. They have things from, like, a little bit of everything. They have real Laura stuff for dishes and things that really belong to Laura Ingalls Wilder. And then they have stuff about the books and stuff about the show. They have the mantelpiece from the TV show, from Charles and Caroline's house. Uh, they have Ingalls' house's mantelpiece that's from the show mounted on the wall. So they have stuff. They even have a prop. They have something from the musical. They have, like, all this mm-hmm. stuff from every possible per- – and they have had all the actors out there. So every permutation and – retelling of Little House is like represented in Walnut Grove. And then all the actors have been out there. They have my pantyhose in a case, my pantyhose. I know from when you were waiting in Plum Creek the first time. Because I went to my first time there. I didn't realize I was determined. I went, oh, I have to go waiting in Plum Creek. So I threw myself into Plum Creek, but I had on a dress. I was all dressed up. I had on a dress and pantyhose and my pantyhose were completely ruined, of course. So I took them off and threw them away and um, someone retrieved them from the trash, washed them, and then put them in a glass case in the museum. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of crazy. Yeah. They can be a little crazy in Walnut Grove, but you're right. They do have but, a but I, game of the fandom. They really do. They're, and then the, like, the, the, the Mansfield one now has a bunch of stuff because they had us come out. So they now have stuff from the show. They have some show stuff now and stuff from the actors. So 
they're both huge. But that's the thing. There's so many sites, and if you haven't been, go, because as cast members, we've been invited out for events to several of them. And I've been to Walnut Grove several times and Missouri several times, and I finally got to Smet, South Dakota. But I, need, I still need to go to Independence, Kansas, and Baroque, Iowa. Well, I am sure they will be glad to have you when you come. Baroque is one of the smaller sites. But they do have the, the hotel that Laura lived in when she was there, and they have plans to uh, expand, so hopefully they can. But, uh, well, they could have them. me out for a fun have me out for a fundraiser. I raised money for the, the – I did the Laura Ingalls Wilder dinner at the uh, Mansfield, Missouri, and raised money. I could come out to Burrow for a fundraiser, you know, hint, hint. Look at me. Look at me. I'm like, you know, I'm hustling for a gig here on your show. Yeah. Have me out to Burrow. I'll help you raise money. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'd be glad to have you come. They had Dean Butler. Um, he was the first cast member I actually met because he was there – and they didn't advertise it right. So looking at the ad, people thought he was only there on Sunday. So I was like one of six people there on Saturday, too. And so I had a nice long session with him. And then the next day, there was a Dean Butler. And, and he was, I always point this out as a great example of customer service. Because there was such a long line, he said, I can't leave right now. And he, event, he really should have because he had a flight to catch in Minneapolis. But he stayed there like the very last possible second he could do, go and not positively be late. Right. I, I just, he looked just so horrified that he'd have to leave all these people. And I always, I always point that out as a, a great point of public service. Dean Butler is one of the nicest people ever, 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 as you know. Um, we're we're kind of good like that, our prairie folk. Um, I was in Walnut, uh, where was I? I was in Wisconsin. It was that place. It's not an official prairie site, but it was that uh, Heritage Hills place, which is gorgeous and amazing, and they do prairie days. And I was supposed to be, quote, done. My, my shift was technically over the time that they said they'd have me till. And we're supposed to go to dinner, and I had been signing for hours, hours and hours and hours and hours. And they said, well, you can say I am done because it's 5 o'clock or whatever the heck it was, and we'll go dinner. Or we have a line of people waiting, and it goes all the way out the door and down the path past the uh, butter-churning exhibit to the gate. And they're all – we've closed the gate, but there's a line of people going all the way out the door and down the path to the gate, like t- three blocks of people. And they said, do you want to stay and sign for them? We can tell them, look, it's five, you know, 5 o'clock, she's done. And I said, can you get me um, some Diet Coke? And they said, yes, we'll get you like a big gulp of Diet Coke. And I said, then I will stay. And I just stayed till they were all done. Well, you know, maybe I will have to expand my example now because that really is great. I mean, I think that's been my experience. <laughs> they did, they did get me dinner later. <laughs> you just all have been very, uh, very friendly with fans. And I even bothered you at breakfast once and you didn't even get mad. So. Right, right. It's a, well, we prairie folk, I don't know, we've got a very good work ethic being on that show with Michael Landon. And Michael was all about the fans. I joke about it, but it's true. And he, Michael, you know, he'd been on Bonanza and then on Little House, and so he's all, you know, very famous. People would come up to Michael Landon, and they would say silly stuff. Um, he would uh, be crossing a parking lot, and someone would always yell something like, Hey, little Joe, where's Hawk? And 
they always acted like they were dreadfully clever and they were the first person in the history of Earth to think of this. And yeah. you know people said this like five million times to him, right? Yes. Every time yes. they said it, he would laugh and like say, oh, he's back at the home in the kitchen with Hop Singh. And they would laugh and laugh and laugh, and then and then he'd like roll his eyes because like oh my god I can't believe I did that again. But Michael was nice to the fans. Fans, he was always good to the fans. He would drop what he was doing and talk to them and sign autographs. And we all took a we all paid very close attention to that because he was a gigantic star and he was so nice to his fans. So, um, all right, to get back to your reading, you play a. Ooh, uh, yeah. you, you kind of play along with the stories, wearing a bonnet and drinking from the tin cup. Uh, and people, there seem to be, and this is something I think is really odd in the comments, but there seem to be people who don't know you could buy a bonnet or a tin cup. So if somebody, <laughs> yeah. if somebody is one of those people and they do indeed want a bonnet or a tin cup or a copy of your book or whatever, how can they get it? Yes, I have a little store set up online, and it's uh, it's the Square app. So it's actually, I believe it is, because it's Loose Gravel Productions, and I think if you go loose-gravel-productions-square, but if you go to the Square app store and look up Loose Gravel Productions, you'll see it says Not Your Mother's Mercantile, and there's a Nelly picture. Um, or you can, like, even Google Allison Arngram stuff, Square. Um, but I have a Square store, and I have my book, and I have candles, and I have bonnets, and I just started getting more bonnets, totally more bonnets. Um, and then I have, what else do I have? I have all sorts of lovely things. Um, I just got a couple of tin cups, and they also do have tin cups at Walnut Grove, at the museum at Walnut Grove. They have tons of tin cups, and I will have autographed tin cups. But I have books and things and candles and, and silly stuff. I have, like, the movie I made when I was 10, Throw Up the Anchor. Um, but we have all kinds of merch and gigas on there that you can absolutely can buy. And... Um, I try to keep it in stock. Like I said, I'm having I'm having requests and sales like never before ever in my life because of the book reading. But I am trying to keep stuff in stock. Yes, and one thing, if you're listening, Allison does a really good job of. She doesn't pre-order ahead. She will only put bonnets on the site as available if she actually has them. So if it says yes. out of stock, there is more coming. And she will say on her Facebook page when the new stock's in. Exactly, because I don't, I mean, if, heaven forbid something gets held up on the way from, you know, Walnut Grove. I don't get my bonnets in time or something. So when I know that I have the bonnets, I immediately, then I put them up. So, yeah. And if you are interested in a bonnet and you don't, um, well, I don't want to say you don't care because that doesn't sound right. But if having Allison sign it immediately is not most important thing, you can get um, bonnets from any of the home site museums. And, uh, Indeed, and they, the, the Walnut Grove ones are lovely, and it says handmade for you in Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove and Walnut Grove has tin cups. Walnut Grove, Walnut Grove has really good stuff. They all have quite a selection, The store and the store in Missouri is huge. But, um, yeah, I order a lot of stuff from Walnut Grove. And, uh, of course, I have the scented candles. I have the scented candles, which are awesome. Um, they come in uh, Nellie's warm cookie and Allison's hot orange tart. Um, 
and they're really good. So yeah, but you can get you can get stuff from the stores, and all of those sites have an online store, and they have great stuff. And also, they can use the business because. They can use no, the business because, as you were saying, events are canceled since you all of the big events that were coming at spring. So many events in the spring and early summer for all of these little house in the prairie sites, and they can't do them. They can't do them right now. So they need the business. And so absolutely do visit all their sites and you may see stuff you want. They have all sorts of adorable things and clothes and dolls and whatnot. Um, so order their stuff and help them out. I am glad you said that. I was just going to, but I'm sure people will listen more to you saying it. So, you know, if next time they send you an order, you should have them send you one of the China Shepherdesses because if they did not know that you could get bonnets and tin cups, my guess is they do not know you could get China Shepherdesses. And the one in Walnut Grove, and they're adorable. They're not exactly like the ones on the TV show, but you can tell they were modeled after that. And they are resin, not china, so they mail well. Right. So if they fall off your mantle, too, they don't break. <laughs> Remember Ma constantly protecting that poor china shepherdess? Pa's like yes. tearing the roof off and hammering in a floor, and she keeps having to go to the house, get the china shepherdess out and wrap it up so Pa doesn't break it. So, yes, but yes. you can get one that will not break even if Pa is putting on a roof. They should put that on their labeling. It should say that. We'll not say <laughs> You don't so have to move it every time Paul repairs the house. <laughs> when, my, when my grandma moved here, our farm, um, they, the upstairs wasn't, wasn't finished, so she'd put all these little bits of, you know, like china and stuff on the shelves because, mm-hmm. well, that were, you know, not really shelves. They were you know, part of the framing because she'd gotten all sorts of um, things from my uh, great-great-grandmother who uh, cleaned the rich people's houses in, in Iowa City. There are some very rich people. But they were, she had all these little bits of china and stuff, and then they were working on the house, and she did not realize how much hang, banging a hammer on part of the house was mm-hmm. shaking the whole thing, and a bunch of her stuff got broken. So mom was not Ma was really smart. She knew that, that how dangerous Charles could be with a hammer. So she knew. Yes. But see, that's what I mean. There's so many funny things in the book. There's so many situations we've all been through. So, yeah, when I read, I find myself going, oh, yeah, this has totally happened to us, we know. And I can identify. And then there's also things that are funny. And there's the historical things. And I am very much a city person. Now, my father grew up on a farm. He grew up on a farm in Canada during the Great Depression. So it was totally Little House in the Prairie. And so I know some farm things, but there's things in the books where I say now, okay, I have no idea what this means. And Dean Butler was doing the same thing. He goes, he's reading Farmer Boy. And he said, okay, what is that? I know somebody on here knows this. <laughs> so we would ask because people like you would say, oh, yeah, well, that's what you do when blah, blah, blah. And you do such a nice job of pointing out um, the sort of adult storylines within the book because you know, people a lot of times go, oh, they're kids. And, and we just did the, one of my uh-huh. favorite scenes where they're talking about uh, playing with the straw stacks. And, and Loris and Mary say, well, yeah, we didn't slide down. And he thinks that they're lying to him. And he said, well, we rolled down. And he stands up quick because he's laughing. And I just, you did such a nice job really highlighting that and all those little bits in the, 
doesn't look. Where what? Because it's so true. Because parents parents know what that's like when the kids are at that age where they're trying to be like a little child attorney, where they're like, oh no no, I didn't technically do that. No, I didn't. I was rolling. It's totally different. And and they think they've really gotten away with something. And all the you just burst out laughing, but you can't because yeah. you're trying to tell them they're in trouble. And <laughs> so the parents have to like not bust up. And, yeah, and Charles gets up and has to go to the doorway because he's laughing so hard. He can't let the kids see that he's cracking up. Um, and there's things like that that are – she's telling it from a little girl's perspective. So it's all this stuff like I don't – that she doesn't know is happening, but the adult plot lines. And I went, when I went back and reread Plum Creek as an adult, I realized that the whole thing of the locusts, the grasshopper plague, is – totally like announced and foreshadowed there's all these things about the wheat being thin about uh mr hansen going yep no selling the farm yeah already planted but for some reason i am selling this farm and speeding out of here as fast as i can and things about grasshopper weather what did he mean by grasshopper weather i have no idea and that paul ingles wasn't really up on this whole grasshopper thing and that other people were, it wasn't a surprise. Other people knew perfectly well that there was a season and there were warning signs that you were going to have grasshoppers and did everything but take out an ad and tell him, dude, the grasshoppers are coming. And he did not get it and was totally blindsided when the grasshopper showed up and ate everything. And as an adult, you read it and you go, Oh, what? They're telling him. They're telling him the grasshoppers are coming. Oh, my God, he's not getting it. And then grasshoppers show up. As a kid, you don't really get it. And as an adult, you go, oh, wait, they were telling him. Oh, no. That's true. I mean, there really is an adult storyline running through all the books, but you kind of have to um, you have to be on the lookout for it because as Laura does keep that first-person point of view, so it's sort of hidden in there people's reactions to things. In fact, I well, really and, and the relationship with the, the the Native Americans, it's made clear yeah. that they're very conflicted about this. Pa has met with and spoken to several Native Americans, including the chief of the, the Osage. And he's had very good relations with several of these people and had you know well the and the whole thing where, oh, and the guy kills the panther that's threatening their kids. And then as yeah. he says because this man no doubt had children and went out to kill the panther to protect kids. Like, hello. Um, mm-hmm. And all these stories, and, and it's made very clear that the government had told the Indians everything was fine, and they told the settlers, oh, no, everything is fine, and it wasn't. And so the Ingalls did move over the line onto Indian territory and didn't realize how, what they had done. And they were conflicted because Ma was like, no, no, I want them to just leave. We should have this land. And then Paul's like, well, no, actually, they're pretty cool. And then Laura, and remember, she's like seven. And, of course, what in real life, wasn't she like two or something when yeah. they were in Indian territory? Yeah. Um, she's arguing. She's arguing with her parents. She specifically said she's never supposed to even speak until spoken to. And she's arguing with her parents going, but if you don't like the Indians, why did we move here? And is this not their land? And the parents become very uncomfortable. They're like, go to bed, Laura. But what they admit to is, well, yes, it totally is their land. And and there's a problem. And the government made a deal, and then they didn't make a deal. And, oh, wait, now we have to move. Um, and 
that was a major historical thing that happened uh, with the treaties and the revoking the treaties and telling the settlers where they could go and not telling them the right place and keep everybody lying to everybody. And it was a problem. And they go through this. But from her point of view, she's just like, wait a minute, what's wrong? Why are we here? Well, what's the big deal? I mean, if it's their land, it's their land, right? And the parents going, um, ah, because we don't really have an answer for that because we know we're stuck and we're on the wrong side of the line. Yes, you did a real nice job pointing that out. I will say, I think part of Ma's problem with the Native Americans is portrayed in the book mm-hmm. is that she was so, she she says later on after Laura marries Manling, not in the book series itself, but she said, mm-hmm. what will she do after he has uh, the diphtheria thing? What will she do if he can't support them, if he can't do the work? And the way she says it in that book, I just think that was what she was thinking the whole time. You know, every time they're there on the cabin and Pa rides off alone with a gun and a horse, she does not know if he's coming yeah. back. And that would be enough to freak out right. anybody. Well, there was also a thing about the wind sickness. And I remember Karen Grassley, our wonderful Karen Grassley played Ma. We were at an event in Nebraska, and she was explaining about being a woman alone on the prairie. And that many women, especially out if they were in Kansas, like the grasslands, the wind would howl through the grass and just make this ear-splitting noise. And it wouldn't stop. It would go on for days at a time. And that people, what they call wind sickness, they would go crazy. They would get, so they couldn't sleep. They'd get completely stressed out. People had nervous breakdowns. It was really hard. And and she talked about like how hard it was because you didn't know. And if your husband had to go get food or go into town or go hunting, and you didn't know, was there going to be a fire? Were there going to be wolves? Like said, what if there? When Paul says, what if there'd been a fire while I was away? Well, we'd have thrown ourselves in the creek. She's saying, oh, we would have made sure we would have tried to not, like, die. We'd have jumped in the creek. But, yeah, you'd have lost the house and everything else, and they would have been injured. And you didn't know if there was going to be Wolves Creek or if the Native Americans were going to come through and decide to kill you for being on their land. You did not know. And and it was this constant threat of death, and not everybody could handle that. So, yeah, it was really stressful. Well, my mom it doesn't like the wind either. Whenever I tell her how great of a place to smet is, because, uh, well, we've been there several <laughs> times, but I, that, it's kind of a running joke. She'll say, oh, there's just so much traffic around here. And I say, do you know where they don't have traffic? <laughs> the smet. She right. told me that I, that I should give it up because she just could not stand the wind. Man. I didn't think it was such a problem. Oh she man. Right. Well, I, you know, up here in Tahunga, we don't really have that many people and, one day there was like more than four cars on the main street, and Bob said, "Oh, traffic jam. We have to move." <laughs> so, um, to get back to the reading on Facebook Live, people watching uh, can reply in a chat box. How has that affected your reading experience? Oh, that is so awesome. Um, uh, I, I see some of them while I'm reading. I'll catch some of them because I know I'm reading. I'll catch some, and I'll see, and I'll start cracking up because I'll see a great question or someone's joking about something, and I'll, I'll mention it. Or like when I say I don't know what this is, and someone says, "Oh, in the 1800s, blah blah blah," it answers it like, "Yay!" But do know I do read them all eventually because afterwards, um, when my husband gets home, he's like, "Well, I didn't get to see it, so we we go back and we watch it. We go sit in front of the bigger computer and um, turn it on, and we sit there 
with like tin cups of milk, whatever. <laughs> we hang, we watch it, and we sit there, and we read all the comments, and we look and see who the people we know and who logged on and what they said. So yes, we do go back after and read the whole thing. Um, how is your husband Bob involved with the reading? He popped his head in a couple times. Is he the technical Why support? He's usually out, at, uh, as I said, at work, but on the weekends he's home. And what he's done is, because um, he's like, well, you have stuff in the background. Do you want a guitar? So um, depending where I'm sitting, we've done different backgrounds. And Bob is in a band called Catahoula. He plays guitar. And he owns 12, 13, four, I forget. I think it's 12. I think it's 13. Um, guitars. And so we were doing a thing with a different guitar in the background every day. So at night before he went to bed, he goes, quick, let me put a different guitar in the stand. <laughs> and he'll rearrange, he, put, he rearranged the mantelpiece today, actually. He put something else in the mantel. He'll rearrange the mantelpiece and go, have you put this up yet? You should use this. And then a few days ago, he said, do you know they have like national days, like national pigs and blanket day and national this day, pancake day. You sh- and he printed out a list. So he said, so if you want to tell them what national day it is, like it might be national, you know, read a book day or something, you should totally do this. So he gave me my national days. He rearranges the mantelpiece. He's been doing sort of art direction. Um, um, if I'm scurrying about and he's home and he's like, do you need your milk? He'll go pour me my tin cup of milk and go, what snack are you having? Make sure I have cookies. Uh, <laughs> um, so I guess art direction, <laughs> doing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so he, he loves it. He thinks this is like the best idea I've ever had. He's like, this is great. So he loves reading the comments. So. Well, he should definitely poke his head in a little bit more because, uh, it's always great to see him. He's always so nice with the signings too. He is. He is. Oh yeah, he's awesome. He he can be quite shy because when I say come on, come over, he's like no, no. He's like no. I'm like come over. Okay, okay. I'll stay. Wait, I gotta get a hat. I'm like go get a hat. He's like okay. And then he stuck it. <laughs> he was like not gonna do it. <laughs> so uh, you're sort of a spokesman for the Little House cast because you're the most active with shows and reunions and stuff. Uh, what has been the reaction of the rest of the cast that you're doing? It's so crazy because, yeah, I started going to the Prairie sites. Now, the people who went before me, Dabs Greer, who played Reverend Alden, and Kevin Hagen, who was Doc Baker, they were very active. They used to go to Walnut Grove and to Mansfield, Missouri, like, all the time. They were going to stuff before I was. I found out about it kind of from them. And then... I didn't go to any of the sites, really, till Walnut Grove in the early 90s. And then once I found out, I was like, why have I not been going? And then in the 90s, Kevin and um, uh, Dab said, oh, yeah, you should go, you should go to all of them. They're great. And um, so then I started going. And the rest of the cast, some of the cast, like, as I said, we never thought this thing would be a hit and not this long. And many of us did what most actors do. We go, oh, well, I got a job. It was nice, la, 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 la. And didn't really anticipate that we'd be having all these fan events and doing all this stuff later. So some of the actors were like, oh, well, that was, that was a long time ago. What is it? Are people still into that? Like kind of surprised. And so they weren't necessarily going to the sites. Um, whereas like I said, Dabs went, Kevin went, and then I went. And then I kept going. And then when it got to be coming up on the 40th anniversary and when we all started having books come out, then things got crazy. And the thing was is 
when we wrote our books, I somehow inadvertently wound up being the person who wrote most about what it was like on the show. I how that happened. I said, I, you know, when I wrote the book, I, I answered the questions I was being asked all the time, and so that's how it came out. And so people really dug that, and I got even more requests to go to these things. Also, I had the stand-up act, so I was touring because it's a stand-up, so I was going out to places all the time. And so when everything kind of hit the fam, and the 40th anniversary came, it was huge. And several of the cast members said okay, it would have been big, but we're not sure if it would have been this big if you hadn't kept beating the bushes and going to all these places. Because you just kept going and going and going and going, and you were touring and you were showing up at all these prairie sites and talking about that you sort of kept the fire banked so that when it was time in the 40th, it was still blazing so we could all like get in on this action. So they thought that was pretty cool. I know that there were times they thought I was out of my mind. There were times that I was running around all over the country and other cast members would go, why are you, (laughs) where are you going? Why, why are you going there? What are you doing? Are you crazy? And then of course, when everything went, they went, well, thank God you were crazy because apparently you were crazy like a fox and thank you. And this is totally awesome. So there you go. So uh, what plans do you have for continuing the reading? You had Dean Butler come on and, and read one of the books. Yeah. You got, I think you've got some plans coming up for In the Bank of Bone Creek. Yeah, because um, Chapter 20, I believe, is back to school, and uh, Charlotte Stewart, who was Miss Beetle, is very keen to read. Um, so we'll have her doing that. And then uh, Dean Butler's already said he wanted to read The Long Winter because Almanzo comes back in that. And I said, well, he can have maybe part of it because I'm having too much fun. But he just the other day said, if you need a break, I don't care what chapter it is. I will jump in. I just let me know. So he's ready to read again anytime. Charlotte's going to come in for back to school. Um, I've even heard from uh, Hersha, who was Mrs. Garvey on the show, is willing to read Rodimus Perrault in France who was John Jr. on the show, wants to read. Um, So I'm starting to hear from people like, let me know when I get my chapter. Uh, And, of course, Baby Great, uh, Wendy Lulee will read. So um, eventually we'll probably get everyone. But, yeah, everybody wants to do at least a chapter. So um, if you finish the series and we're still in quarantine, what will you read next when you get through these these happy golden years? Uh, Would you start over? I've been specifically asked about the Baroque spinoff book, and I wondered if you were going to do, like, the first four years and On the Way Home and those books, too. I'm wondering, because, yeah, um, I, I thought, well, good heavens, that's what I said. Well, she wrote enough books. We should have, I could keep this up for months here. Um, even get all the way through uh, Happy Golden Years. Yeah, I figured I would do the first four years. I'm, like, counting that as, like, nine or whatever it is. And then, yeah, there's enough, there's the spinoff books and the Rose stuff. I mean, you could even go into the crazy Roger McBride was Land of the Big Apple and all that. And then there's all the new stuff. I could read um, uh, Prairie Girl and Prairie Fires and all the sort of real Laura stuff. I mean, there is there is an unending library of, <laughs> of Laura Ingalls writing. Well, that is true. You have not even seen my building when you say that. But, yes, there right? is a lot for a book. That's the thing is there's so much there, and I know that there's, like I said, I was like, I've seen the list, and if you go to the Walnut Grove page, it's like they have all the books, and you're like, oh, wait, and then there's that one, there's that one. So I could actually – there was also 
Little House in the Ozarks, which was about Laura when she was writing for the newspaper. They put together a bunch of her articles. So, and I think I have that somewhere um, when she was writing that, for that paper. And so, I mean, that's there's that so much stuff. on the cover. So that is the reason I like that because it's got Herford. It has Herford. So yeah. <laughs> There is so much prairie. I could read. I could. It, I don't know. This could go on for. And I, that's the thing. It's like. And if if we are able to have a a, a, a medically correct reopen and start going out again, um, I'm just going to keep. I mean, I'm going to finish the ding dang books because I mean I started. <laughs> I keep going. It's like if y'all go back to work, I don't know. You'll have to come home and rewrite it because I'll just keep reading. <laughs> My mom really loves the commentary part of your reading because, well, if if anybody knows me, you know that she would be happy if she never heard the name Laura Ingalls Wilder again because she is beyond (laughs) all wore it out. But she loves your your reading and what you talk about on the book. If you were asked to do an official, like, audiobook version or commentary track for the book, would you be interested in doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I did some commentary for the DVDs. There's been, I don't know how many sets of DVDs now. There was the first set of DVDs came out, were put up by a Montreal company, a French company, Imavision, and they were in, they came out in France right before they came out in the U.S. And so I actually did commentary for them, I think, first. Um, I didn't do it in French. I did subtitles. But that was crazy because when they sent me the DVDs, they had scenes in that I hadn't seen in years because in France they hadn't cut everything. So I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, so I did the French, I did commentary for a bunch of episodes for the French DVDs. Then they came around and said, well, now we're putting out the English DVDs. Could you do commentary for these episodes? And then I did another, another set of DVDs came out. I did a commentary for a bunch of those. And then this last set with the fabulous high-def Blu-ray, um, I did a whole interview thing and Q&A and stuff. And uh, so I've, I'm totally, absolutely, I've always been available for interview, commentary, and bonus content to any little house thing. And um, do they have audiobooks? I know they, it took them a while to release them on Kindle, and I do not know. Did they do audiobooks of the little house books, and do we know who read them? Yes, Sherry Jones read them. She's a Broadway okay, actress. Okay, there's, yeah. Uh, and she does not know that you pronounce Mo as Mao when you're talking about part of the barn. So I spend the whole time during Farmer Boy correcting her out loud, even though nobody, you know, she can't hear me. She's no. Well, I mean, that's the thing. There's a whole slew of people who are professional audiobook people. Because when I did my book, my book, when we went to audio, I, of course, read my book for the audiobook. And when I did it, I met this wonderful producer, and we talked about that. And there, there is a whole circuit of people, often theater people, Broadway stars, and that is they think they are audiobook people. There's books, there's a couple people who've read like you know dozens and dozens and dozens of books, and so mm-hmm. they often will get one of them, and they're usually quite good. Um, but I am always game if somebody. Uh, I'm I'm always up for this sort of thing. Yeah. Now. Uh, people who are fans only of the books or only of the TV show might be surprised that you also do improv shows. And you had one scheduled for New York City that you had to cancel because of the self-quarantine. So what are you doing instead? Well, that's so crazy because, yeah, I have this whole stand-up show, which includes a whole improv Q&A, and it's hysterical. And I was booked for May 9th at the wonderful Lori Beachman Theater in New York City, which will reopen eventually. You should all go. But I said, oh, no, no, you're canceled. 
And then they called me, the guys who put it together, and said, well, we're looking at doing these online pay-per-view show things because all of our people are out of work. So on May 9th, I will be doing my show. I will be doing it in my living room. Um, I got a nice backdrop I can have behind me. But um, I have lighting. So (laughs) I set it up. It's via this thing called Stage It. You can go to stageit.com or you can go to Spin cyclenyc.com and you will find uh, my show and you can get tickets. It's only 10 bucks, and um, it's only now because of the way the platform works and the way you have to do it and do it online it's only going to be half an hour so it's like the best best of but I will include Q&A I've set up a thing if you saw my Facebook I put an Ask Allison card so I'm collecting questions there so I will be able to answer real questions during the show um, so it will be a half hour long, and it's going to be on May 9th. And I think it's, uh, what, 5 p.m. L.A. time, 8 p.m. New York time. And then we're going to do it on the 16th, which will be 8 o'clock L.A. time and um, 11 o'clock New York time. So that gives us different time zones for everybody. Yes, yeah, so I've got my ticket, so we're looking forward to that. Oh, Awesome. Yeah, you do. So that's going to be crazy. I've never done this. I've never done this before. This stage, it's a new thing for me, this whole program, and it will be brand new, but we're going to do it. And we're working out the tech this week and figuring out how we make it happen. But this is a new thing. It's it's so all my performer friends, we're learning all these new platforms and Zoom and BeLive and StageIt and things you can put up on Patreon. And There's a million platforms and things that you can now do on the Internet, thank heavens. And all, all the performers and musicians and comics and everyone I know are doing these shows and creating these things uh, online. So this is, this is the brave new world, and we're living in it. So on May 9th, I will be in all of your living rooms, yes. So you do these question sessions as a big section of your show, at least the ones I've seen. How did that get started? Absolutely. Well, it got started because when I started um, doing um, the show, I had been doing like stand-up, like normal, if you will, stand-up for many, many years. And sometimes I talked about Little House, but not really that much. And then I got a call to come do a show in New York. And I had never played New York. And... They said, oh, oh, and they said, you have to do much longer because in L.A., nobody, people do 20 minutes, maybe. And they said, oh, no, no, this is, this is New York, and you're, like, headlining, so you need to have an hour and a half. An hour and a half. I mean, when a headline place is, like, 40 minutes was long. Um, and they said, you need, like, an hour and a half, and it has to be, like, New York outrageous and scandalous and NC-17. It's like, oh, man. So I wrote all this stuff. I started writing furiously. And I literally was worried about how to fill an hour and a half. <laughs> and so I said, well, they always want to ask questions. Fine. I'll just have a question and answer segment, and they can ask their questions, and everyone will be happy. And that'll be funny. So I got some index cards, and I put index cards on the table and told them to ask questions. And so at one point in the show, I said, okay, I'm going to answer your questions. And I pulled up, and I, I only got them, like, right before the show. So it was wonderful because I didn't even know what the questions were going to be. And I went through the whole deck and started reading off their questions, answering them. And it was hilarious. I mean, some of the questions were totally rude. Some of them were completely dirty. Um, some of them were just hilarious. Um, a lot of questions about, like, why can't Baby Carrie talk on the show? What is the matter with Baby Carrie? Why does Pa never have a shirt on? Um, and it was just really, really funny. 
And then I started answering, and I'd just riff on things. And, and they'd ask things even not about the show. We, they would just get crazy. And I would answer as best I could. And we, by the time I'd be done, I and the entire audience, we'd be sobbing with laughter. It was so funny. So I said, well, this is a permanent part of the show. So, yeah, the Q&A is one of my favorites. What kind of things do you get asked about? I do get asked about the, the making of the show. People are fascinated in, in when they watch the show because I guess we did a really good job. And you've seen on Facebook, like, how many people ask about the snow that in episodes where it was snowing. They're like, wait, I know that can't be real. Wait, because you filmed in California. There's drifts of snow. There's a blizzard in L.A. Wait, what was it? how in the world? And it's confusing because in the pilot, they went on location. So there's a lot of real snow in the pilot of the show in Kansas. But once we got to Walnut, we're in L.A., so we had a lot of fake snow and a lot of fake blizzards. And we did really, really good fake blizzards and fake snowing in because everyone who watched it said, no, I was convinced that that house was snowed in. So explaining a lot of the, the stuff we did and, and, and you know, the things that we did and that it was no, it was all shot in California and that we made all of this stuff look real that was all massively not real. Um, people are fascinated with my hair because I clearly have very straight, not curly hair. And I had these permanent ringlets that like never uncurled on the show. And it's like, yes, it was a wig. They had to make a wig. My hair would not stay curled. So, yeah. So how do you handle getting asked the same questions over and over again? Like you, you uh, oh, had mentioned Michael Landon having to respond to that. And I know I, by the, I've seen you a couple times now, and by the last time I heard you, I could have gotten up there and answered like the first ten minutes of questions. So, I know, right? You've seen you've, you've seen it when I've been in Walnut Grove, Missouri, any of these places. You've seen it when I've done my stand-up, and you've seen it on Facebook. And and like some of the the fan groups, you'll go, didn't someone just ask that question yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> and people do. They ask the same things over and over to the point that it kind of becomes hilarious. It's like, um, you know, are you and Melissa Gilbert really friends? With how, what was Michael Lana really like? How much did you get paid? Do you still get residuals? Where did you film the show? And it becomes like the same thing. And that is sort of a thing like it is hard for actors. There are actors from shows that poor people from Star Trek. I don't know how they do it. Um, there are people who get asked anything. And you've seen actors in interviews. They'll, they'll, go, they'll lose patience. They'll go, how, why are you asking me that again? Um, I feel it's like an actor's technique. Like people who are on Broadway and do the same show over and over again. Like Yul Brenner did The King and I, what, 4,000 times or something yeah. and had to like make it fresh every time. Um when I get asked questions, I know that I've been asked this question 10,000 times, but this person, they've never been to one of my shows at a wall. They literally, this is the first time they've they really don't know. So I try to be patient and take a deep breath and go, well, here's what happened. And I tell them. Well, you, you do a real nice job with that because it, that, <laughs> that's that hard. And, and let me tell you what's, what's worse when I do go speaking, especially for little kids, they are so focused on remembering their question that they did not hear the kid right before them literally ask the same question. Yeah. Oh, no, grown-ups do that, too. I've seen kids do I've seen adults do that. They're sitting there, and someone is like, someone literally just asked. <laughs> right? Yes. Um, so I we're getting close to the top of the hour. See, time goes fast fast when you're talking to me because it's such it fun, does right? and i gotta i gotta go get gussied up and get my cup of my tin cup of milk and my bonnet 
before uh, before we go though, uh, I wanted to just uh, mention a little bit about your book. I definitely recommend both the book and the audio version. You know, you like her her read the Little House book. She'll like hearing her read her book. Uh, and when I, we were at Mansfield last year, people some people seemed surprised you'd written a book. So I just want to briefly touch on that. Um, it's based on your life, and it's not just a here's what we did for a good time on set, even though that's part of it. Do you want to tell them just a little bit about it? Yeah, it's got everything. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, as I said, not for, for children. I do know some people in their late teens, you know, late high school, who've read it and gotten a lot out of it. But, indeed, it covers my life before the show. And that includes that I did have a difficult childhood and there was abuse and I was very shy. And so those things. And then also my crazy Hollywood family, which is hilarious because it was so Hollywood. And my parents were very unusual. They were from the theater in Canada. And so I have all these stories about my parents. My dad worked for Liberace and my mother did cartoons and she was Casper the Friendly Ghost. So it's like, what? Um, and then I wind up getting Little House on the Prairie, and I talk about how uh, people believed I was like Nellie and were terrified of me and threw things at me, and it got really crazy. And then I, go, I do go into detail about life on the set because people – I have a whole chapter about the wig. I have a whole chapter about going down the hill in the wheelchair because those are the two things I am quizzed about most often. So I did include massive detail on those. And I talk about my relationships with the other cast members and what they were like. And the, the wild characters we met on the set. And then I talk about, well, after the show, well, what the heck happened and how that was quite difficult. And then how I found other things to do. And I talk about um, Steve Tracy, who played Percival in the show, dying of AIDS. And I talk, I, everything. I talk, I, you name it. And then I talk about my work now with the National Association to Protect Children. And so it's pretty darn cool. I mean, um, it's sad. I mean, God, both my... My father dies, well, my mother died in 2001. I talk about that. And then my father died. And my father died right while I was writing the book. And the publisher actually called me and said, I realize your father just died, but we need to do an epilogue. And what you wrote about your dad, everyone, the publisher keeps saying, what happens to the crazy father? They said, he's such a character. Could you write about his final moments? So that's in there. Um, um, so it's, it really covers a lot of ground, but you do get enormous detail about day-to-day on-the-set life and, and hanging out with those actors, and then you get great detail about my life before and after. So, uh, And it's really, really funny, and it's really, really sad, and there's some scary parts, And um, but it, pretty much everyone who's read it has really liked it. And um, the title is not one that I would have ever cho- uh, chosen, but Confessions of <laughs> does kind of serve as a warning that if you're uncomfortable with the title, you probably, the book is not for you. Yeah, yeah, because it's right, because that was the thing, and and a lot of, in my show, even, I do, that's the, probably the one word that, our, our half-hour show on May 9th will not be NC-17. It may be a little PG, because the fact is, is the very first day after the show aired, I got called a bitch at school. And people actually, I mean, I was 12, and people were calling me a bitch to my face, literally. And so this was a major part of my life where I was like, wow, what do I do about that? Um, And it was kind of stunning at the time. And so 
then that's why my show and then my book became called Confessions of a Prairie Bitch. And then how I survived being Nellie Olson and learned to love being hated. So that is, that's our one um, PG-13 kind of word. And then I, I don't think I won't be dropping any other like bombs other than that one probably. Uh, but um, that's the thing. People literally called me this. And, and this was the thing that I actually had to contend with in my life and figure out like, all right, this is what they're calling me. Uh, how do I overcome this and embrace this and be back in your face or go hide in a basement, one or the other, you know? And I just wanted to give you a chance, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to give you a chance to plug the charities that you work with, the AIDS one and with yes, the yes, child. Yes, yes, sure. Indeed, I'll, I'll give all my, all my websites. My, my website you can go to at bonnetheads.com, of course. Um, of course, my Facebook, Ellison Arngerman. There's the Twitter and the Instagram. My Instagram is that Arngerman, all that. Um, yes, protect dot org p r o t e c t protect dot org and it's the National Association to Protect Children and they're amazing they're amazing I'm the president of the board of directors and we've done so much stuff we've done stuff on a legislative level changing the laws to better protect children from child predators we've done stuff with law enforcement getting actual law enforcement teams like the um, Internet uh, Crimes Against Children Task Force getting them funding getting them manpower getting technology actually getting tech to the police to use to track predators and, and stop child pornography, all this kind of stuff. Um, so we do very, very cool things. We're expanding in all sorts of areas. We've been training. We have what we call the Hero Corps training program, training people to work with the police, um, with the, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Uh, really, really incredible stuff that nobody else is doing. Just no one does the things that Protect does. We're, we're very clever. Um, so by all means, go to protect.org and check out the cool stuff that we're doing. Uh, and I really would like to second that. Allison's done some amazing work. And if there's anybody who needs help, it is definitely a child, especially when it can't trust its family. So um, yep. it is an important thing. And you can read all about all there's there's an amazing amount of sort of like educational stuff about child abuse law crammed into my book. I'm like, and in the mm-hmm. 1970s when they passed the CAPTA Act, and I'm like, wait, what? But I thought, no, I need to put this in here. So yeah, so it's it's all educational. Although I must say, when I finished the book, I really wanted to give you a hug, and I was like, well, this is years ago for her. That would just be silly, but I did. I wanted to give you a hug because it was. Well, thank you, thank you. When, when we all take off our masks, we can hug again. I'll get a hug from you. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for joining us today, Allison. I really appreciate you coming on. And um, maybe when we aren't all in quarantine, we should have you back and talk a little bit about other things. But I think it's so great you're doing this reading, and I really, truly appreciate it. Well, I really love it. It gives me a chance to be out talking to people because that was the thing. I thought, what am I going to do? I'm going to spend months not going out on the road and talking to all of my friends and my fans. And now I can't. Now I get to, you see me, I see you, I get to talk to you. It feels much better. So, yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. And I want you to uh, tune in again on Wednesday. We are having the director of the Mansfield Glory Eagles Wilder on, and we're going to be talking to them uh, since uh, Gene Cote passed on. Uh, he's been the director, and there's been some 
changes there, and we will find out everything that's going on and how they are dealing with the quarantine crisis. So uh, let's see you all again Wednesday, and remember to always brighten the corner where you are. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.